on episode 57 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, clarify your vision and defeat subconscious drivers. You're not worthy enough. You don't deserve this. It's going to be too hard. You're going to fail. You're going to be embarrassed. Your ego is going to be hurt. Whatever it is subconsciously that is going on underneath there that's keeping you from taking action and creating that creative tension is what we really have to deal with. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. So on today's podcast, you had a subject you want to talk about. Well, you know, the reason I want to talk about it is primarily because one of my clients right now that I'm working with seems to be uh, one of the toughest challenges I've ever had. <laughs> and the reason why it's a tough challenge is this is a, a very successful entrepreneur who has reached a block. He's gotten to a point where his business isn't getting any bigger Matter of fact, if it's not only not getting bigger, it's actually starting to go backwards, shrinking a little bit. And as a leader, he feels he's failing and doesn't know why. And so he falls back to his natural instinct, which is just pure grit and willpower, just Mm -hmm. plug through it. But as you grow a team and it gets larger and larger, that grit and willpower that it took to get you from startup to where you are now isn't necessarily the same skill set that it's going to take to grow from the number of employees that he has to what he wants. Right. And I'm trying to help him understand some of the reasons why he's hitting these roadblocks. And it's a lot of self-reflection on his part and changing beliefs and changing habits. And he doesn't, um, he's struggling with it right now. So it made me think of some of the frameworks that we use, some of the different things to help people grow as leaders. And so today's subject out of what I wanted to talk about is what I was sharing with him, which is called structural conflict. Okay. And structural conflict is made up of three basic points and and there's a lot of nuances to it. But the first is you have to truly understand and, and frame your current reality. Okay. And if you live in a reality that is make believe that is not real (laughs) and you have not taken the time to clearly frame your current reality, you're going to struggle making decisions and leading others because you're either living in the past or living in the future. You're living in, it used to work and I'm struggling with the fact that it doesn't work anymore. So I'm going to just fight the reality, pretend that it's still going to work or just willpower it through because this old model used to work. And so I'm going to keep doing it over and over again until it works again. Mm -hmm. And it's not my fault that it's not working. This has always worked. There's a a breakdown or dysfunction in my team and the economy with my clients, whatever it is, it's that fundamental attribution error where they're disowning the responsibility of why it's not working anymore and they're not clearly framing current reality. Is this something that happens with a lot of entrepreneurs or business owners? Well, not as much entrepreneurs, even though it does happen for sure. It's a lifelong challenge of what's gotten me to where I'm at right now should continue to work. Right. Right. You know, it, it's made me successful to this point. Why is it not working anymore? And it's sometimes because we lose track of current reality and we don't take time to stop and reframe and say, okay, what is, what is reality? You know, what's happening right now? Mm-hmm. So that's step one is understanding that the step two then is creating a strong vision and understanding what it is that you want, being able to clearly articulate that vision, write it down, share it with others, so on and so forth. So that's on one end of the spectrum. And then the other end is understanding these anchors. And they're primarily 
rooted in subconscious drivers. And these subconscious drivers that are, that are underneath the surface are very powerful, but yet we don't tend to give them enough credit. And so subconscious drivers are huge in when people are stuck and they don't know how to move past where they're at. We have to really look at why do you believe the way you believe and what is the subconscious belief system that's going on underneath the surface that's causing you to get stuck here and, and keeping you from being able to frame your current reality. So what are some of those subconscious drivers? Well, there's a, uh, there's uh, so many different ones, but so, let's start with understanding how subconscious sets up. I mean, if you were to, a basic analogy, if you take a toddler, for example, and a toddler is learning to eat, mm-hmm. you know, the first time you give them a spoon and put food on it, they're going to, they're going to miss their mouth. It goes everywhere but their mouth. <laughs> That's right. And it goes everywhere but their mouth. And they're trying to figure out the concept of using a spoon. So, you know, first time it hits their cheek or maybe over their shoulder or they flip it across the room, whatever it might be. And over a period of time, they figure out, oh, my hand, you know, I put, put the hand close to my mouth and the food goes in there. And then through practice, it becomes so subconscious. Now, we as human beings, as you grow, you don't think about how a fork or a spoon works. You right. just subconsciously do it. Well, mm-hmm. all behaviors are that way and everything that we do, the way we react, speak, body language, everything else. But in subconscious language or, or thought process that really drives behavior is the limiting belief that I'm not worthy, perhaps, mm. or that somehow I don't deserve this, or I'm, or it's this limiting belief that it's never going to happen, which is subconscious, that happens over a period of time. So think of childhood growing up, and your parents and teachers and siblings are always saying, no, stop doing that. Don't do that again. That No, you can't do that right now. Mm-hmm. And it's done from a perspective of a parent, you don't want your child to get hurt. So you're constantly saying, no, that's scary. Don't do that. It's not safe. And so subconsciously, we have a belief system that most of the time, the things that we want to do, we have this little trigger in our brain that says, whoa, slow down. You could get hurt. It is risky. And and that subconscious driver keeps us sometimes away from our vision. The possible success we could have. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not always. I mean, there's an 80-20 rule. There's lots of people that overcome those sub- subconscious drivers. And there's also people that have, and it's a very small percentage, 5% or less of the people in the world, that can overcome those subconscious drivers that keep them from pulling back. And these are people that do extraordinary things, that have no fear, that don't, don't really think about the consequences most of the time. Mm-hmm. They act before they do that. But in most people, the, the subconscious is the, the big driver. So everything in life is happening right now. And reality doesn't care about your opinion. Okay. <laughs> reality is reality. And the clearer we can get on reality, the better. And then we have this vision out there. This is what we want this. And, and sometimes the subconscious takes over and we paint these great pictures of what we want. And then we start self-doubting continuously that can we actually reach them? But let's just say the vision's there. And so we're it, it, the the mental model is a rubber band connected around your waist to the vision that's out there in the future. And so every day when you wake up and you start focusing, when you focus on that vision, that rubber band, that tension is what we call creative tension. And when, okay. you, when you think of the word tension, you instantly think of a negative because that's the way we've uh, thought of things. But there's a difference between emotional tension 
and creative tension. And it's really critical to understand the difference between the two. Emotional tension is what we think of when we think of tension. This is where self-doubt sets in, where stress, where we're anxious, our heart rate, our blood pressure, all the stuff that creates that anxiety or the anxiousness. If you've had a fight with somebody, kind of that tension in the workplace or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we call emotional tension. Okay. And emotional tension is a bad thing. Now, right. creative tension, on the other hand, is, is a very positive. And creative tension is that gap between your current reality and your vision. And when you have creative um, tension, that creates energy. That, that, that tension is what's pulling you towards that vision. It's that energy. It's, it's like gasoline to a fire. It really ignites it. And so we have to figure out ways to find as much creative tension as possible. And the way you do that is you're very clear about your vision. You articulate, you share it with others, you write it down. Everything is about that. And you look for things to create that creative tension. You're, you're looking for that reward system that will keep you focused on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then on the other side is that subconscious anchor. And this, again, think of a stake in the ground and the more disbelief you have, the larger that stake is and the bigger the anchor is. And you also have a rubber band connected from your waist to this subconscious uh, driver and that's where that emotional tension sets in. That's where you're constantly being tugged backwards towards, I can't do it. It's, you know, it's not worth the effort, whatever, you know, anxiety sets in. And so every morning when you wake up, there's a tug and pull between the vision and the subconscious. The vision, yes, I can, which is creative tension. The anchor, no, you can't, which is emotional tension, which sets up stress. So in your example, the subconscious tension is always kind of a negative tension. Yes. And you have to learn how to overcome that subconscious driver that's, a, that's the, the negative. You're, you're not worthy enough. You don't deserve this. It's going to be too hard. You're going to fail. You're going to be embarrassed. Your ego is going to be hurt. Whatever it is subconsciously that is going on underneath there that's keeping you from taking action and creating that creative tension is what is what we really have to deal with and figure out. So I'm creating a, a mental picture here. So you have the, the future, the vision you want to go to, it's, it's pulling on, on you and your mm -hmm. current location and your subconscious pulling on you in the other direction. So staying where you are is, seems like the easiest place because you have tension on both sides. You would think. You would think, yes. And, and that is at sometimes people get stuck. That's why they don't... That's why they don't quit their jobs and start this company that they've always wanted to do. This but is why the status quo, right? Right. This is why they don't, you know, get promoted or sell their house or get married and have children or whatever it might be is because there's this vision of here's what I want. And it's hard to say it out loud because I'm afraid that people won't, yeah. you know, will laugh at me or say that it's right. impossible or whatever. So I have this vision of what I want. Most of the time it's daydreaming. We, you know, that's where it starts. Here's what I would love for my life to look like. Then we have our anchor, which is yes, but I can't, you know, I, right. I'd love to own my own business, but I can't because I have debt or I have kids and a house and a mortgage it's and all complicated. it's complicated or my idea probably won't work or somebody else has already thought of it, whatever it is. So you have these subconscious drivers that just that rubber band, it constantly keeps you at least where you are. And in some situations it pulls people backwards. So it depends on which anchor point is stronger. If your vision or your subconscious, subconscious yeah, anchors. Which, which is stronger. Now, 
think of when you wake up in the morning that these rubber bands are actually relaxed. They're laying on the ground. And when you wake up in the morning and you go into your office, one of these rubber bands is going to pull some, is going to get stronger. Hmm. And so they're going to like actually get up off the ground. The tension is going to start at this point. And we have the emotional tension, which is the subconscious drivers of fear and loss and, uh, hum, you know, being humiliated and all these different subconscious drivers. And then we have the vision, which is here's what I want. Here's why I should have it. And so this is why it is absolutely so critical to be clear about your vision and to articulate and make sure others understand it and to set priorities and goals. And that's where the creative tension really helps create energy Mm -hmm. is because we just are constantly driving towards this vision. Now, with that being said, so there are strategies that human beings tend to employ or use um, to cope with this tug and pull. So what most do, and and we'll start with the, the negative side, which is the emotional stress, you know, sets in or tension instead of the positive. They first is they they tend to let their vision just erode. You know, there's a constant tension between what I know I should be doing with my life and what I want, what I should be doing as a leader, what I should be doing as a spouse, whatever it might be. And then there's my subconscious drivers, which is at times laziness or apathy, whatever it is. We tend to just start backing off on that vision. Yes, you I can know? identify with that. <laughs> yeah, so we start <laughs> backing off on the vision. The vision, the vision erodes. And we let our, you know, our current reality gets closer to our subconscious drivers instead of away from our vision. And we just, it's not giving up, but it's reframing our vision. And instead of, you know, I I read a recent survey study that was done out of Europe recently that talked about the two happiest times in our life. And it talked about the ages. And it was interesting that one was at 23 years old and the other was close to 70. And in the research, when I was looking at why 23 and 70 are the happiest times in our life, right? can you guess why 23 would be there? You're, I would think the 23, you're optimistic about the goals that you might be, you know, your life's in front of you, what you can accomplish. Absolutely. It's that vision. It's I'm 23. I have so much life ahead of me. I have so many opportunities in front of me. The, my vision of what my career is going to be, you know, my, my family and home, my travel, all this stuff, the great vision. And then, you know, we start to see it slump Mm -hmm. until you're 70. And at 70, there's another spike in happiness. Why do you think 70? See, I I don't understand that one. Maybe you're you're fulfilled, you have family, and, uh, you know, your life's behind you, sort of, and you can kind of just relax now, maybe? You're retired? I don't know. Yeah. Well, what the research has shown is that at 23, we're very optimistic because we have this vision. We know what we want. And from there, life starts to beat us up. Right. And so life starts happening. We're not hitting our vision. The subconscious drivers are happening. Our current reality isn't what we thought it would be. And so our level of happiness starts to drop because we're we're realizing that life is not fair to us, that reality is reality doesn't care what our vision was when we were 23, you know, and so we get beat up and we struggle and we have ups and downs. And then at age 70, the research shown that through the people that were studied is that we've come to the, to the realization that, you know, that I've done what I've going to do, that I'm starting to settle into the fact that maybe I'm not going to be wealthy. Maybe I'm not going to have 
the perfect family that I thought I was going to have when I was 23. Maybe I, I'm not going to visit every continent in the world. Maybe, mm-hmm. I, you know, and you, you start coming to grips with, I had a good life and hopefully showing some type of gratitude and, and seeing that, you know, I'm not chasing something that's not obtainable anymore. It's not giving up. It's, it's coming to grips with, it is what it is. And I'm happy where I'm at. Is that why older people sometimes seem wiser? Cause they just have the perspective of like, yeah, you know, the wisdom. I've been through it. Oh yeah. You know, I have a 13 year old son who believes that he's sharing new ideas with me uh, on life because he's 13 now and he's learning new things. And, <laughs> and at my age, I, I, you know, have a lot of sympathy for my parents having to go through <laughs> putting up with me. I'm the oldest of four. So, and you look back and you say, okay, at 13, the perspective on life is full of possibilities and they're learning new things. And wisdom is through getting your teeth kicked in and life lessons and, mm-hmm. and success and failure and multiples of both. And, and so that, yeah, that's why at age 70, the things that you thought were critically important at 23 are no longer as important at age 70. I did a, a class at my church and it was kind of talking about like your goals and your, your life and everything and your accomplishments. And my wife and I were the youngest people in there by far. Mm-hmm. And all of our goals were centered around like career and children and stuff like that. And all the goals of the other people were around like giving back to the community and, you know, their personal walk with sure. the Lord or whatever. And I was like, wow, I feel so selfish in my youth compared to them, right? And that is the walk that so many people take. And myself, I mean, I'm 49. At the end of this year, I'll turn 50, and I can see a shift in myself already of that, you know, first 20 years from middle 20s to middle 40s, I was just aggressive, aggressive, aggressive on build, 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 acquire, 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 you know, more is better kind of concept and enjoying life along the way. But at the same token, nothing was ever enough. And now I'm, it's not wisdom. It's a shift in the paradigm in which you see things that it's okay. So what's the next 20 years look like? Because Mm -hmm. I can't run at this pace forever. I can't do all these things forever. What does the next 20 years look like? And, and how can I make the biggest impact in the next 20 years? Right. And acquiring a bunch of stuff isn't, yes, isn't what uh, doesn't do it. No, it's not, it, it's not what does it. So when we're looking at our, the, the structural conflict and the, the strategies that we use to cope with it, one is, is again, let that vision erode. The second is what we call conflict manipulation. Okay, so conflict manipulation is where instead of driving at the vision because the vision is worth driving for, meaning if if we're going to solve world hunger and that's the vision, that's one thing. Well, what we tend to do as leaders or as individuals is we use this, this conflict manipulation strategy where we tend to paint a picture of worst case scenario if we don't hit the vision. So we start to manipulate. So if we, if we don't hit this vision, how many people will die? If we don't hit this vision, how many people will lose their jobs? How many people will suffer if you don't see my vision or work towards my vision or, or the consequences of not hitting the vision? So we, we manipulate the conflict in our mind to create worst case scenario to try and motivate us to work harder. Mm. And through that conflict manipulation, what we're actually doing is making it worse 
not better. It's a pessimistic outlook where previously we might have been more optimistic. Yeah. So if you start out to set, you know, to, to fix a problem in the world, let's say you, hunger, that's the one we just use. So, and and I go out and I raise money and I start a nonprofit that's going to save millions of people by providing them resources to grow their own food and so on and so forth. And now I started out with this great vision. It was me and a couple of other people. And now we have a thousand volunteers and a hundred staff people. And we have all the responsibilities of a board and all the stuff that goes with it. And we're not saving as many people. We're not building as many farms, we're not doing as much as I, I set out when I set the vision. Human nature is to say, okay, the vision was strong when we started and everybody was pulling on the rope and working hard for that vision. We've lost some of that. So I'm going to use some manipulation to get people to understand that if they don't show up early and work late, like we did in the early days, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, that there are consequences to it. So that conflict manipulation becomes a tool which only reinforces the emotional stress or the emotional conflict that's there. And it sets, it triggers the subconscious of not only yourself, but the employees Mm -hmm. to a negative subconscious driver. See what I mean? Yeah. And so it's a, that, that manipulation trying to hit the goal is not a good thing. And then the third that people use as a strategy to kind of deal with this is just pure flat out willpower. Mm-hmm. And this is where we started the podcast with, with one of my clients that he has a vision and he still wants to have this vision. He's struggling with his current reality and his sub driver, you know, the sub drivers that are driving his behavior. What's always worked for him is just pure grit and willpower. Mm-hmm. So he feels that possibly the reason why the organization is stalled and not growing or not doing what, you know, he thinks it should be doing is because he's possibly lost the vision or his employees don't see the vision anymore. So just through pure willpower and grit, he's going to drive the organization to the vision. And that, that willpower and grit works for an individual. When you try and translate that onto others, the subconscious of those employees start setting into this guy's just pushing on buttons that make me not want to be here anymore. Right. That creates this emotional conflict. And I also think of the illustration, maybe like if you're lost in the woods and a fog sets in and you say, well, I need to get out of this fog. So you just keep walking. But if you don't, you can't see clearly where you want to end up. You may be ending, you know, walking in circles and you've expended all your energy now. So really having the the plan and the vision in the first place without without that the willpower is not going to help you it may actually hurt you yeah absolutely the willpower then is is misplaced it's right. in the wrong place so how do we on a positive structure then how do we deal with this how how do we focus on it and there's really a couple of key principles and they're going to seem very simplistic but man they are so powerful if you actually it's always the simple stuff that's the most powerful oh anyway. yeah absolutely so the first is Commit to truth. Okay. Okay. Now, again, what? That seems so simple, but man, it is not. Commit to truth is truly the concept of you have to recognize your behaviors and the behaviors of others, and you have to be truthful about what's going on. 
truthful in your organization, with you as a leader, with the employees that you're with, a spouse, whatever it might be, you have to commit to pure out truth. And when you do that, when you commit to pure, unadulterated truth, it generates forces that are multipliers. And so that commitment to truth itself and, and others is absolutely critical. The Buddhists have a state uh, or they, they teach what's called pure observation. And pure observation is where you can step out of yourself and have a pure, clear observation of what's going on. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, it's very difficult if we, you know, can't see ourselves, if we're not truthful with ourselves, if we're not truthful with others, it's very hard to truly clarify that vision and use that creative energy versus emotional energy, which is what's going to pull us backwards. I was uh, listening to another podcast and they referenced Buddhist ideas and that they, that in American culture, U.S. culture, we have the idea of guilt, like something happened that wasn't good and we keep beating ourselves up about it. Mm -hmm. And they focus more on the emotion of remorse. So something happened, it was bad, but you're not dwelling on it in such a way that you're going to keep beating yourself up about the, the bad things that have happened. Yeah, and that is true. There's another quote that I really like. It's, a mistake is an event, the full benefit of which has not yet been turned into your advantage. And so when you look at that, a mistake is an event. It, it, it's just an event. Mm -hmm. And like you just mentioned, you know, do we beat ourselves up, which is subconscious drivers, or do we use remorse? Or do we look at the mistake as an event and that we haven't realized the value of this event yet? And how do we take this mistake or this event and turn it into a positive? It's like if you're exploring a cave system and you go the wrong way and you hit a dead end, well, now you know that's not the way to go. So mm -hmm. you've, you've been productive in that way that now you know that's not the way to go. Oh, yeah. You know, I've worked for years with entrepreneurs, lots of entrepreneurs. And these entrepreneurs will tell you that everything that I do isn't successful and that I've had lots of mistakes. I've made lots of bad decisions. I have tried it, tried a lot of things that I've failed at and that through that failure is where the life lessons have come and I've learned. And when I find someone who has never failed at anything, you know, I realize that either a, they haven't tried enough because if they, have never failed at anything, then what, what are you doing? You're playing it safe. Playing way too safe. <laughs> or if they've never failed at anything, uh, I don't think they can truly have wisdom mm. because they haven't learned how to deal with failure, how to overcome it, how to bounce back from a setback. If everything that's ever happened to your life has been positive, do, can you truly have wisdom without hurt and scars and cuts right. and bruises. Or another option, it may be coming. Oh, it's always coming. <laughs> Life is not fair, and we all know that. And <laughs> so the second thing in dealing with this structural conflict is, is having a very strong understanding and rapport and building this rapport between your current and normal awareness and your subconscious drivers. So subconscious drivers are there mm -hmm. and your current reality is here, right? 
And when you can create a strong balance between my current reality and my subconscious drivers, and I reconcile the two of them, I can make better, clearer decisions. When I don't pay attention to my subconscious drivers and I'm not clear about my current reality, then every decision I make seems to be unlogical or whimsical. It's like this guy can't seem to make a decision. He's left and right and back and forth. And one day's one and the next day he's, you know, he's hot and he's cold and it doesn't make sense. Well, it's because the subconscious emotional drivers, the stress are driving the behavior Mm -hmm. and the current reality, he or she doesn't want to deal with the current reality. And so the subconscious driver gets to be in control and their vision starts to erode and their current reality becomes bleak. So would it be helpful in in a situation like this to kind of like sit down and write down, like, what are the things that you know, I have in the back of my mind, my subconscious and kind of name them and put them out there so that then you can deal with them. Oh yeah. All these things that I'm talking about here are not easy. None of them are easy because we can't, you know, this isn't like a computer where we can just pull up and look at all the sub drivers, you know, subconscious drivers in my mind and, and, and print out a list. We have to identify them when they're happening and understand why we do what we do. And if I'm a ego driven person, then my subconscious, anything that tends to attack my ego, sets off a trigger that makes me act in a way I don't want to act. Right. Or if, you know, I'm someone who's scared to death of public speaking, as an example, then subconscious drivers in my mind are going to keep me from doing it. Mm. But your current situation might require that you speak in front of a group or do some public speaking, but the subconscious drivers are saying, you know, the sirens are going off. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, to my knowledge, no one has ever died from public <laughs> speaking. Uh, so there's no logical reason to why you wouldn't yes. pu- speak in public. But yet these subconscious drivers, which are not about the speaking side, it's the inadequacy or I'm, I'm going to be embarrassed or I'm, I'm going to be called out or I'm a fraud or, or just the fear of, you know, being facing one way and everybody else is facing me, I, whatever it is, I don't know. It's, it's not one of my fears. So I, I struggle with seeing the fear in others, but it is true that it's a very big fear for a lot of people. It's, a, it's funny. Just this week, I kind of dealt with that. My, uh, I went to, um, do karaoke with some family mm-hmm. and my eight year old son was with us and yep. he, he really wanted to do a song, but he was really scared about doing it. So I got up and did it with him and he was like, Oh yeah, it's, it's easier than I thought. I, I just ignore all the people out there and I just read the words on the screen and I just hang out here and I'm in my own little world. And, and next thing I know, he's filling out another little piece of paper because he wants to do another one. And this time he doesn't need me. Yep. He's good to go. Well, <laughs> and so you just brought up a very valid point that there's one of the strategies and that is sometimes just absolutely facing your fears and doing it will make that fear go away. Right. The fear of flying, mm-hmm. you know, so many people have a fear of flying, but the reality is it's the safest form of transportation there is. Safer than a car. It is. You have a higher chance of dying on the way to the airport than you do actually flying in an airplane. But yet, <laughs> the subconscious drivers, yes. uh, what is it? It's lack of control, You know, something new, whatever it might be. And those are the drivers that cause our behavior, not necessarily reality. And so when you find people that are stuck in some situation that just seems to be reoccurring over and over and over again, identifying the feelings that happen when you're stuck in this decision, or if you use your son with karaoke, what feeling this, what subconscious driver was keeping him fearful? Mm -hmm. We both know that 
it's the fear of not being good, being judged, never done it before. You know, there's a whole litany of things. And once he overcomes it and his family cheers for him and other people in the crowd clap, mm-hmm. whether he's good or not doesn't matter. It really Let doesn't. me just say the bar was really low at this particular event. <laughs> okay. So, well, well <laughs> that helps as well. <laughs> well. Yeah. But what happens is that the recognition that it, I didn't die. Right. There's people that actually thought I was good. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was fake applause or not, doesn't matter. It, yeah. In his mind is what matters. There was applause. You know, it, I enjoyed this more than I thought I would. I was mm-hmm. very fearful going up, but now that I've done it, I, it's not bad. Maybe there's some self improvement concept where he's like, you know, that was good, but the next one will be better. Oh yeah. It was that way. And sure. so that's a building of that creative tension versus emotional tension. When he's, when he started that emotional tension was keeping him the anchor, that subconscious driver. Nope, 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 nope. Well, once he got up there, did one song and he's like, you know what, this was good, but I know I can do better. That's where creative tension sets in. He's like, I have a bigger vision now. Not only do I want to do this, I want to do it by myself without yep. my dad there. I want to, I want to look at the audience instead of mm-hmm. looking away. You know, I want to practice and come back here next week. Mm-hmm. You know, after I learned all the words, whatever it might be, and that's where that vision, that creative tension, pulls us towards what we want instead of that emotional attention that's just keeping us in our current. It's that rubber band that's pulling us backwards versus pulling us forward. I think also understanding the challenge fully as well, like actually evaluating it because one of his misconceptions was that you have to memorize the song before you get there. Mm-hmm. And then we, we walked in he goes, Oh, they get a TV screen with all the words on it. Automatically that barrier is coming down a little bit because he, he realizes it's not nearly as hard as he actually thought it was when he fully understood it. And I think that's probably the same with actual problems in a business and stuff. Absolutely. You have to really evaluate it. It's probably not as big as you think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With this client that I've been talking about, uh, one of our, process that we call the transformation model is we look at seven critical areas in the business. And, you know, I start by saying we don't have to change this business overnight. What we have to do is look at these seven critical areas and increase by efficiency by 10% in each. And if we can do that, the overall impact to the organization will be massive. And when they, when you think in terms of that, then it's like, well, I know we can improve by 10%. Mm -hmm. Great. So it starts moving that momentum in the right direction instead of, you know, we're in trouble, we're bleeding money left and right. We got all kinds of issues. You know, we, we need to totally scrap what we've always done and do something different. Uh, that's not always the case. And, and we can help leaders reframe that. Is that also part of it when you've identified that subconscious driver saying, you know, I may not have the willpower, or the strength to deal with the entirety of this driver, but if I can break it up into smaller manageable pieces, have some victories, maybe I can do better. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, always. That's always the case. Like with your son, for example, you didn't say, hey, we're going to Madison Square Garden and you're going to get up on stage in front <laughs> of everybody. You're saying, hey, let's start at this little local coffee shop yeah. and do some karaoke with just your family watching. you. In a or even like, other. I signed you up and you have to go by yourself. Get up there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basics. The last strategy they'll talk about, and, and again, they, they're so simple, but yet they're so true, is is focus. And today, more than ever, we are bombarded. Uh, Our brains are bombarded with information that drives our subconscious to negative, dark places. And when you look at social media as a perfect example of this, 
we are constantly comparing ourselves to others all day long, every day. And so when you find like my son who's 13 or even adults, you know, that are obsessed with looking at what everybody else is doing, we're looking at what they're wearing, where they're going, what vacations they're on, what promotions they got at their job, whatever it might be. And we're constantly comparing ourselves to them, which is reinforcing sub these subconscious drivers. And so with clear focus, not that I don't care what others are doing, but that is not what I'm focused on. Right. What I'm focused on is this clear vision that I look at and reinforce daily and that, that whether or not I make a million dollars a year is, doesn't matter to me. Curing world hunger is what matters to me. So when I see someone on social media that's standing in front of five cars in their driveway and, you know, with behind a mansion or whatever the case might be, if my, if my vision that's clear is about saving people that are starving to death, then looking at that post of a, you know, five cars in a mansion and a guy saying, if you want to be me, just click this button. <laughs> it, it actually pushes you away from that versus pulls you to it. But if you don't have a clear vision of what you want, you don't know what you're trying, what problems you're trying to fix in the world, what you're trying to do, then we start letting these images of why is it that everybody else has a mansion and five sports cars and I don't subconscious drivers that keep us from, you know, it keeps us in that emotional tension, not creative tension. Do you think there's a medium somewhere between being inspired to reach the goals that you see in other people and also, you know, not beating yourself up for, for the unattainable, but, you know, if you didn't know that something was possible, maybe you wouldn't achieve as much as you possibly could. Yeah, I think, again, it goes back to, and I'm trying not to sound like a motivational speaker here. I'm trying to paint out, paint a picture of just pure reality. Mm-hmm. And reality is that our subconscious drivers keep us from doing a lot of the stuff that we should do, whether it's minor or massive. And until we understand this structural conflict that we have, understand that we have to clearly understand our current reality and, and be truthful about it to ourselves and others. And because truth is a cornerstone to this, this is my current reality period. Mm-hmm. I clearly know what I want my life to be. And I understand why I want it to be these things, whether it's in my life or as a leader, as a spouse, as a parent, as a volunteer, whatever it is, I clearly know what it is that I want. And I understand that these subconscious beliefs are what are killing me here. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is what's pulling me. That's that rubber band that's just pulling me backwards constantly. It's not reality. It's my belief about what reality is that's killing me. And if I want to succeed, I have to deal with these subconscious drivers and frame up my current reality and say, yes, I don't have the money today to be able to to feed every single person on the planet. And I don't have the resources, the manpower, whatever it might be, which is my vision. But telling myself daily, if I can't, if I can't do it, why get started? Why get started? That subconscious driver is self-limiting. I have to deal with those subconscious drivers. I have to figure out why do I think this? Why do I believe this? And reframe it and say, and use mental models to say, this isn't reality because it's reality. It's reality because I think it is in my mind, which is false. And I've got to change that. I like the exercise of saying, you know, if 
all the needs in your life were met and you had no no worries for you know just basic needs what would you want your life's work to be mm-hmm. so then you can kind of filter out the noise because i think so much of the time we get caught up in the you know i've got a, um, some bills coming up soon i've got some stuff i have to do for the kids or something and you just kind of your goal just becomes extremely fuzzy right yep yeah one of the other techniques that you use to to do that is say okay let's vision yourself accomplishing the goal that you have in your mind right now. So let's say it's solving world hunger, or let's say it's something even more realistic is I want to be promoted and I want to manage other people. Okay. Let's fast forward five years and put yourself in that position. Now, what has changed in your life? Why? What has happened now that you're managing, leading other people and you're making more money, more responsibility, whatever it is, you're there now. What's changed? Is it what you thought it was going to be? Is it, is it as great as it seems when you don't have it? And try to get people, and I know it's tough, but it's try to put yourself in that spot and work backwards. Because sometimes people set goals and they don't even know why they're setting those goals. They're setting them because somebody else right. thinks that's what you should do. So if you, if you set that goal and then you backtrack, maybe you can set up checkpoints for yourself to hit as you're going forward again. Yeah. The, the main reason why you do it is because if somebody says, well, I, I want to manage other people. That's my goal is to move up into management. All right. So now it's five years down the road. You're in management. You're driving other people. And tell me what it's like. Envision what it's like. And a lot of times what you find is the subconscious drivers of why they want to be in leadership or management, that is, is because they want to have the respect of other people. They want to feel more uh, responsible because right now maybe they don't feel responsible for anything. Maybe they want to be in the, in, in the meetings where the important people are. So they don't feel important as a pr- individual contributor. They tie importance to the people that get to be in the meetings that they don't get to be included in. Mm-hmm. You know, what you find is most of the time, it's not the job that they're striving for. It is the recognition, the feeling like you're a part, uh, the, the important side of it that really drives that behavior. Right. I know we've, we've kind of talked about this before, the idea that just because you're, you're good at something, you might think my next step is going to be management, but that may or may not be the case, and that may not be a good role for you anyway. Yeah, and it's even worse for the organization because if uh, the Gallup poll who does a lot of research recently came out with the state of the workforce. And one of the things that they put in there that, which is so, you know, just stuck out to me bigger than anything is that, you know, 70% of all disengagement or lack of engagement in employees, um, or turnover or any of the negative consequences that happen in organizations is due to putting the wrong people in a management role that turnover happens because of the wrong manager, not the organization, the people in management, uh, disengagement or lack of engagement because of management. Uh, and a lot of times we promote people based off of the resume or based off of did it, you know, how long they've been with the company, uh, you know, out of obligation, or we do there, they are a good individual contributor to the organization. And if we don't promote them, we're going to lose them to somebody else. So let's move them into a role that they're not suited for, but we'll keep our fingers crossed that they do a a good job. Well, they may be promoted and they may feel good and they may stick around, 
but then 70% of the workforce plummets in production that's underneath this new manager or existing manager and people start leaving. So we justify why they're leaving, uh, you know, all kinds of different things. So, so I guess to, to bring it on back home, recap, you have to, the biggest thing is you want to set your reality first, right? That's the first thing is come, come that's clear right. with that reality. Step one, understand your current reality and get clear about it and, and be truthful because there is so much power in the concept of truth, truth to yourself, to others, understand your current reality. Step two is clarify that vision of where you want to go and work on creating that creative tension Mm -hmm. between your current reality and the vision. Uh, And then step three is understanding those subconscious drivers. What's the rubber band that's pulling me backwards versus pulling me forward and, and creating a true awareness and reconciliation between current reality and the sub drivers, subconscious drivers that are keeping me where I'm at so that I can at least recognize them, understand why they're not rational and be able to change behavior because I'm, I'm not just subconsciously living my life. I am consciously looking at what's happening. Why is my behavior the way it is and how do I reframe it and change it? Excellent. Sounds like a good roadmap. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.